It's been said that uh, Catholics' belief in the real presence of the Eucharist is uh, somewhat at an all-time low. And uh, I suppose there's nothing I would take more personally than that, if that were true of my parish. So, and I would say there's probably no greater reason that I'm a priest than the Eucharist, besides my mother's prayers. It probably had something to do with it. There's no way she was going to let me marry a woman. None of them were good enough. That's an aside. Anyway, but uh, back to the point. All right, so I'm going to try to cover about 4,000 years of history. So here we go. Back in the beginning, beginning, after creation, right? I mean, and again, these creation stories are, they're not particularly historically situated. You don't get that till Abraham. But even prior to Abraham, it's understood that God desires sacrifice to be offered to him. He commands it and he establishes it. You see it with Abel, right? And even Cain, whose sacrifice was unworthy. But Abel offers his sacrifice to God in thanksgiving as an act of worship, as uh, repentance for sin, as purification from sin. And very quickly, God establishes his priesthood, and his priesthood offers sacrifice on behalf of his people. Now, when we get to the 11th chapter or the 12th chapter of of Genesis, we get to Abraham, and things get very historically situated, and you can tell there's a shift. God calls Abraham, this is the founding covenant of Judaism and Christianity, God calls Abraham and says, I will make a covenant with you. If you and your descendants will be my people, I will be your God. And to make that covenant or ratify that covenant, a sacrifice is made, blood is shed, an animal is killed, and a covenant is forged between God and his people. And then God very quickly begins to talk to his people about worshiping him, about worshiping him with sacrifice. God establishes sacrifice. God is the one who asks that sacrifice be offered to him as fitting worship and starts to get it in the consciousness of his people, this idea of sacrifice. And we move forward a little bit. We move forward to Moses. All right, and so now we're still some... 4,000 years ago. So we move a little bit forward. We move to about Moses' time. And remember, the the Jews are enslaved in Egypt. And uh, there's the the plagues that come and go, and they don't persuade Pharaoh. And then finally, God says, okay, well, this one's going to do it. I'm going to send the angel to kill every firstborn male in the land, every single one. But those of you who are my people... If you desire for the angel to pass over your house, this is what you do. I want you to take an unblemished lamb, slaughter it, put its blood upon your doorpost, and then consume that lamb as an act of worship, thanksgiving, sacrifice, and purification. I want you to do that, and the angel will pass over you. This is the first Passover. And so the angel did. And so the people were set free from slavery. And then God said, keep doing this meal. Keep celebrating Passover. 
Keep doing it over and over and over. And they did. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, some 2,000 years, a little less maybe. It's difficult to know with the, the time frame, but it's about that. Over and over and over, they would offer this Passover meal as a memorial of what, what God had done for them and how he had delivered them. And furthermore, then Moses goes out into, well, they all go out into the, into the wilderness, of course, for the 40 years. And then there's that moment when Moses goes to Sinai, right? He goes up the mountain and he receives the tablets. He receives the law of God. God teaches his people how to live. And on that first tablet, two tablets, the first tablet has to do with our duties toward God. And one of those duties that God commands is to keep holy the Sabbath. It wasn't man that commands. It's God who commands keeping holy the Sabbath. And you might say, well, what does that look like? Well, then he told them, this is what keeping holy the Sabbath looks like. You will worship me once a week. That one day a week is given for rest and worship. And you will offer sacrifice to me continuously. And they did. And the priests of God who were chosen, those men, the all-male priesthood is, it goes back 4,000 years. Those men were chosen and selected and they offered the sacrifices on behalf of the people in, as an act of worship, thanksgiving, uh, remittance of sin, etc. And they did it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It was built into the practice of their faith. And the Lord taught them over and over and over. Consuming the lamb is an act of worship. Spilling blood, sacrifice, is an act of worship. And it's a necessary part of what it means to be my people. Then in the fullness of time, after 2,000 years of this practice of worship, priesthood and sacrifice, God sends his son and his son comes and begins to, what we say, fulfill the Old Testament, bring to fruition all that God had taught before. As if God were preparing his people for this moment, as if for 2,000 years, he had been teaching them how to worship him rightly so that when he sent his son to redeem them, he also sent his son to redeem the Old Testament worship and sacrifice. Remember John the Baptist seeing and hearing about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then after some three years of, of being with Jesus, well, prior to that, it's about three years, there's a scene we have in the gospel today. And Jesus has just fed the multitude, some 5,000 men, not including women and children, so thousands of people. He just fed them miraculously. And they're following him because, you know, this guy's given free bread. You're going to follow him, <laughs> right? They're not dumb. Where's the guy that gives us bread? And he knew it. Were you following me because you ate the loaves and had your fill or... Do you desire something more? 
and it piqued their interest. Well, we desire something more. Okay, work for bread that doesn't die, doesn't end. Work for bread that satisfies unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Okay, give us this bread. To which the Lord says, I am that bread. I am the living bread come down from heaven. Whoever eats my flesh will live forever. Well, that's a strange teaching. That's very odd. Here's this man claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God, and now he's saying we have to eat his flesh. And the word he uses for flesh in Hebrew is meat. It is not figurative. It is absolutely literal. And then how did the people receive that statement? How did they receive the statement that he said, you must eat my flesh? We're told. It's clear. The Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's not lost on them. This is a strange teaching. How's this going to work? We're supposed to eat your flesh? They totally understood him being literal. Absolutely. Not lost in them at all. Now, if you're a teacher and you've got, I mean, we've got a thousand people, but you've got thousands of people and you say something and they all get it wrong, what are you going to do? You're going to clarify. You're going to say, wait a second, wait a second, <laughs> not, my, not my flesh, but, you know, a spiritual thing, like a symbol or something like that. You're going to clarify. You're going to ease up on that. You're going to say that was hyperbolic or that was whatever, but you're going to clarify. What does Jesus do? He doesn't double down, triple down, quadruple, quintuples down. So they ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? His response is this, amen, amen. And whenever the gospels say amen, amen, it's like him saying, I really, really mean this, right? So Jesus is saying, I really, really mean this. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you don't have life within you. Two, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Three, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True food, true drink. Four, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Five, just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus doesn't back down at all, not at all. In fact, he, he reiterates in such a fashion that it is unmistakably clear what he means. People are to consume his flesh and blood. And what happened next? They all left. They all left. This saying is too hard, who can accept it? They left. And this man who's the Messiah, who's, who's also God, is trying to bring these people into belief in him. The last thing he would want is for people to leave. You wouldn't want that to happen. That's not the goal. The goal is to bring people to belief. But this teaching was so essential, he let them all walk away. And then he turned to the 12. And he didn't clarify for the 12. He didn't, he didn't change the teaching for the 12. He didn't say, oh, you know, it was just that we got to get him back and we got to figure something out. No, he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? If you need to leave, leave. I'm not changing the teaching. And the disciples knew him. 
So it's different. They were with him for three years. And Peter is like, where are we going to go? We are convinced you're the son of God and you have the words of eternal life. They stay not because they understand, but because they trust, because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's enough. If he says it, it's true. If there's anybody else, if there's anybody in the world they could trust, it's Jesus Christ, and they do. They didn't understand it, though. That's pretty clear. They're probably thinking, how's this going to work? I mean, this is a tough one. You just lost all the people, like, this is kind of contrary to what we thought our mission was. They had to go away because I'm not going to change the teaching. And then sometime later, they're celebrating Passover. And there he is in the room with his disciples. And they had celebrated Passover all their lives. Not only had it been, of course, in, in, in all of Judaism for, for a couple thousand years, but they had celebrated every single year of their lives, Passover. They knew how this worked. They knew the ritual. They knew what it looked like, etc. But Jesus, in celebrating the Passover, changes it significantly. And we're told that he takes the bread, he blessed the bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples, take this and eat of it. This is my flesh. Light bulbs start going off. Then he takes the cup filled with wine. Take this drink of it. This is my blood of the new covenant. Oh. So just like John said, you're the, you're the Passover lamb. You're fulfilling all the old stuff, just like you said. You're the Passover lamb, the new Passover lamb, the unblemished lamb that will be definitively, definitively sacrificed so that no other sacrifices need, need take place. The definitive sacrifice that doesn't preserve us from you know, physical evil, but preserves us from eternal death. You're the lamb that we are then to consume repeatedly in commemoration of your sacrifice that they will soon experience upon the cross. Now it begins to make sense. And historically, what happened? Paul talks about in the second reading, Paul talks about how all the Christians believed that they received the body and blood of Christ, that they, that they consumed the body and blood of Christ. We have all of, there's all kinds of writings from the, from the first century, the early church. Everybody believed they were consuming the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. No one questioned it. Well, they might have questioned it, but as a church, it wasn't questioned. It was accepted because Jesus said so. In fact, it was so widely known that the Romans accused the Christians of cannibalism. It was thought that they were cannibals because they talked about consuming the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And they were willing to undergo these early Christians. They were only Catholic there's only Catholic Christians at the time, they all were willing to, to risk death to continue to practice their faith, to receive the Holy Eucharist. And many of them would be caught and they would be paraded out into the Colosseum. And there for sport, they would be killed. They would be killed by animals. They'd be burned alive. They'd be shot with arrows 
For sport, they would be tortured and killed, but they would not relent. They would not give up this teaching because they came from Jesus Christ and their faith was in Jesus Christ. And if he said it, it's true. And however he did it, he did it because he's God. The God who made the worlds, the universe that created man in his own image can find out how to make himself present in simple bread and wine. And for 1,500 years, not a single Christian doubted this. East and West, everyone believed that they received the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody doubted it. That didn't happen until Martin Luther did what? Gets rid of the priesthood and thereby gets rid of sacrifice and turns his back on divine revelation. And there you have the tragedy that is Protestantism. But for 1,500 years, not a Christian, there were only Eastern and Western Catholics, not a Christian doubted that they were receiving the body and blood of Christ. It's relatively new that somebody would ever, a Christian would ever even question the notion of sacrifice within worship, that it was an integral part of worship, or that they were receiving Jesus Christ. It's a relatively new thing. And so when you're met by people who ask you these questions, you know, why do you do this? Who cares what they think? Well, my, my friends don't understand. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of us. We know the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is divine revelation. God has set this up from the beginning so that sacrifice is made as an act of worship, thanksgiving, and love. And the God who made the worlds humbles himself to be placed in our own hands, offers himself to be a sacrifice so that within our very beings might dwell the presence of God. What a precious gift. This is the bread that came down from heaven. This is the bread of life that gives us eternal life. As Catholics, we will never be ashamed of this, and we will never back down. We will never deny this, and we will always seek to understand and be more and more grateful for what God has given. Please stand.